Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. There's been a whole bunch of track and field going on in Eugene. I, th- I don't think we're supposed to call it the new Hayward Field, but it is the it is the new Hayward Field. It had a big renovation. Looks amazing. Best track and field facility in the United States. We'll host the World Championships uh, coming up in a few weeks in July. But there is uh, there has been a whole bunch of events that have gone on at Hayward Field. World, uh, the U.S. Championships, the State High School Track and Field Championships, the Pac-12 Championships. Julian Minnesota, KEZI sports anchor and reporter, has been around a lot of it. I'm bringing him in here because he's turned into a track and field junkie for how much he's had to be at Hayward Field. Julian, give us an idea. What has that felt like to you with all the track and field going on at Hayward Field? Well, Number one, John, thanks for having me. But, yeah, I think I, I should start paying rent over there at, at Hayward because I feel like I've been there pretty much every week for days on end, living on concession food and, and the smell of the, the Hayward field for the last few weeks to a month now. And so um, it, it's just been really exciting. I mean, the, the World Championship is going to be such a huge thing. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a big boom for the city, for the state. And, um, it's just kind of giving people – these events have been kind of giving people a little bit of an appetizer uh, of what they can expect before the main course that, that is world. Um, but every time I go into Hayward, it, it always feels like it's the first time because it's, it's just, just a, draw, a jaw-dropping place to be. I mean, like sometimes I just find myself just walking around just the concourse and just taking it all in. It's, it's pretty unbelievable, and it's going to be an unreal sight um, this time next month. Julian, let me ask you, is there an exhaustion? Because I noted the crowds for the, for the U.S. championships were not what they expected. Is there an exhaustion? Are people waiting for the world championships? What do you think is happening with spectators? Yeah, I think people are kind of just gearing up for the world championships. Um, you know, it was also extremely hot, at least for the USA championships. So maybe that had something to do with it. Because as you get closer to the track, as I'm sure you know, it's, it's, it's that much hotter. But... You know, I think that the, the fact that maybe when a lot of the athletes from over 190 countries, you know, 2,000 athletes come here from all over um, the world, all different walks of life, I think, I think it's going to be night and day with the crowds um, that are coming in for, uh, for, the, for the world championships. I think it's going to be a, a totally different ball game there. Give me an idea because, you know, you've seen track at different places, but what is it that, at Hayward Field that makes it special? You know, they always talk about that Hayward magic, I guess, but it's, it's almost like going into to Disneyland, um, at least in my opinion. You know, when you go to Disneyland, it just feels different than maybe some of the other theme parks around the country. There's just kind of like an aura there. And, and I think when you step into Hayward Field, you know, every city in this country that's at least one of the, some of the more recognizable ones has something that they could point to and say, yes, that is an identifier of that city. You know, in Seattle, you have the Space Needle. Um, you know, you have the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. 
And I think when you step into Hayward Field, there's an aura there that you say, yep, I'm in Eugene. I'm in where this track and field, this sport was born. I'm, I'm in where it's been great and all the legends have come through here. I'm in Eugene, Oregon. I think that's, that's something that's so specific, and a lot of the people here in the community take a lot of pride in still to this day. And um, I think that's apparent as soon as you step through those gates. Jillian Menasone, KEZI, is with us. College football, I've been talking a little bit about it. Dan Lanning will have his first year, first-time head coach. What's a successful year for Lanning? You know, I was listening to your segment prior, and I do think, I do think around nine wins or so would be a successful year. Um, you know, you're coming into a season where, number one, you have Utah, who's going to be really good again. You're going to have a USC team with Lincoln Riley, and a lot of people are excited about that. But I do think still, if you are Oregon, you are still, no matter who the coach is, you are one of the premier programs in this conference. And I think if you can get to maybe nine or ten wins and get to a Pac-12 championship game and compete for for, uh, that Pac-12 championship title, I think that would constitute a a successful season. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I heard you talk about, you know, fans not lowering their expectations, and I don't think they should lower them. You're getting a, a head coach who is who is a defensive coordinator on one of the best defenses that has ever been assembled just won a national championship. Um, I think the big thing for this Oregon team this year is going to be finding out what that identity is under this new regime because I think for the last few years, past the Herbert and past the Troy Dye kind of leadership role era when they won the Rose Bowl, I think this team has kind of had a little bit of an identity crisis of we have a certain leader, we have a face of this team, we have guys that we can look to, we have staples in this program. Um, and, I, and I think that's going to be a lot of soul-searching and, and kind of finding their identity this year. But if they can get that and maybe get to a Pac-12 championship game and maybe win that, I think that would, that would constitute itself as a successful season. The opener at Georgia, um, it, it feels like it's going to be a big game for him. I think... My my sense is that Oregon will play Georgia closer than people expect. But if they get blown out in that game, it does that set a bad tone or what you know, we saw Chip Kelly lose to Boise State bad in his opener. Like I don't know if you can put too much in an, into an opener, but what are you looking for in that game? Yeah, you know, I'm looking for if Oregon is able to keep it close, be competitive throughout and if they are to lose you know, lose by 14 to 17, I think that's a win in itself. Um, if they are to get blown out, I don't think it's the end of the world either. It's not the best start and probably not the start landing would like. Um, also, you know, given that he is coming from there and he's going back to, to Georgia to face his old team, he probably wants to do really well and has a highlighter all over that game. But if you do get blown out, there are a lot of great opportunities for the rest of the season to prove that you are the guy for this job. I mean, just two weeks after that, you got BYU, who's no pushover. You got all your best games, at least your marquee matchups, in my opinion, at home this year. So you'll be in front of your, your, your home crowd for those games, and you'll be able to, to show them what you guys can do and that, that maybe if that you get blown out, that first game isn't indicative of who you really are. Um, so I'll give a little bit of slack to Dan Lanning on that first game against Georgia. I don't think it's going to be the end of the world, but I do agree with you. I think the Ducks are going to – going to show up because if there's an at a time where you can punch Georgia in the mouth or teams like that in the mouth, it's early in the college football season. Yeah, you got to get them early. I think it, we saw that in Ohio State with week two last year. They were a much better team, I thought, uh, by the time they got to the Rose Bowl against Utah. Um, 
you know, I, I, there is, there is a little bit of exhaustion, I think, in the Eugene market with the World Championships in track and field, but season ticket sales for football are also a little soft. Uh, the athletic department still pushing those. Uh, they're not where they have been in years past. Why do you think that is? Well, I think number one, um, you have, though you do have a championship coach coming in, um, I do think there is some uncertainty with this team. I think with a new head coach, you don't necessarily know how they're going to play. I, I mean, the spring game was a great turnout, but they don't show everything of how the team is really going to be in a spring game. That's number one. And I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Since Justin Herbert and, and, uh, and Troy Dye left, there hasn't been really one guy that you can point to, I think, on the Oregon teams over these last few years where you're like, you know, take the personality of that guy. He's our leader. Um, he's the guy that when you think of Oregon, that's who you think about. I think there, there's a little bit of a leadership kind of thing that needs to show itself this year with players stepping up into that role. Um, you know, you had a lot of players either go into the draft, um, like Kayvon and, and Barone. Um, so I think there's just a little bit of uncertainty of what this team is actually going to look like. And maybe that's kind of making Ducks fans a little bit hesitant or reserved um, when it comes to putting their money in season tickets. At that same time, though, I do think a lot of the better home games this year are at Austin Stadium. With, aside from Georgia on the road, you know, you have BYU, you got Stanford, you got Washington, Utah. All your tougher games and the more marquee matchups are at home. So um, I ultimately do think maybe when, when Ducks fans see the kind of team that Lanning could put together, um, I think those numbers will certainly change. Um, but I do think there is some hesitancy right now just because there's a lot of unknowns with this, with this Oregon program at the moment. We're talking to Julian Minnesota, KEZI. Before I cut you loose, Julian, let's pivot to Oregon State. Jonathan Smith got to a bowl game. Um, what is the expectation there for a successful season? And and uh, let me ask you this. Can they, can they have a full successful season with Chance Nolan at quarterback? You know, I do think they can. I think the expectation, and, and you know, Jonathan Smith has harped on this ever since that season ended in the L.A. Bowl against Utah State. I, I don't think they're going to be a program where they're going to say, you know what, we're just happy to be here. You know, let's get to a bowl game, and that's good enough for us, and that'll get enough tickets sold for next year, and we'll just keep this train moving like that. I, I think this program ultimately – in order to take that next step, is going to have to consistently be a Pac-12 team that gets the bowl game. Not every year when the Vegas odds come out, oh, you know, are, are we on the bowl line border of, of what Vegas thinks, or are we going to be way under? I think this team, that's, that's kind of the next evolution of this Jonathan Smith era. Um, I do think that they can get there with a chance, Nolan, you know, another year um, with him as, as, as the quarterback, another year wiser. Um, kind of knows what to expect. You get you get to a bowl game and you kind of get that experience under the belt, and and that's invaluable. And um, I do think ultimately you want to get to bowl games consistently year after year, but you also want to win those games too. And I think that's kind of the next step for Jonathan Smith instead of just saying, you know what, a bowl game that's enough for the players, that's enough for me. Um, you know, we'll have it at that. Julian Minnesota K E Z I. Follow him on Twitter. Catch him on KEZI and on this show occasionally. Julian, thank you for your time, my friend. Of course, John. Anytime, man. All right. Good stuff there. If you are a 
uh, fan of football, track and field, you got you all covered there. Punch it audio still ahead, plus the five at five. You got the bald face truth statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. I was just looking at future football schedules for Oregon and Oregon State. We know who they're playing this year. I was looking at a year beyond at 2023. The non-conference games that uh, Oregon State has scheduled is at San Jose State for the opener uh, in 2023. Then then they get UC Davis at home on September 9th. And then uh, they get San Diego State at home. The scheduling model there is true to what Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State, has said he wanted to do. He wanted to play games uh, against uh, teams that they could beat. They did not want to play payday games against the Ohio States of the world. But I think it's really interesting to see in 2023 that what Oregon State does is they uh, seemingly move uh, full force into the model that begins really this year with the schedule that includes Boise State. That is, you know, it's one game against, uh, you know, a Mountain West Conference opponent or opponent that at San Diego State's no slouch uh, coming off a pretty pretty decent year in which they beat a couple of Pac-12 teams. But it's not like playing Ohio State, right? So uh, Scott Barnes has said he that's something he wants to do moving forward. And in 2022, 2023, that's what Oregon State is going to do. Now, Oregon State historically has been slow starting. They lost the opener to Purdue last year. But I think it's really going to be interesting to uh, to see if Oregon State, for the first time in a long time, can start the non-conference schedule with a win and go 3-0 and in those first three games. They get Boise State at home, and they go to Fresno State in the second week, and then they go to play uh, Montana State at Providence Park in Portland in week three of this season. 3-0 and is on the table. Also, Boise State and Fresno State are not bad, so Oregon State better come to play. Meanwhile, the Ducks, uh, if, if you look at schedules moving forward, we all know they're going to open this season against Georgia. Uh, next season, though, in 2023, it'll be Portland State in the opener on September 2nd. It will be at Texas Tech in week two uh, in Lubbock, Texas. So they'll go on the road to Texas Tech, and then it'll be Hawaii in week three at home. So again, Oregon shifting a little bit in their model uh, beginning in 2023 with no uh, big ticket game on the horizon if the schedule stays true to what it is right now. And of course, that is what Oregon is planning to do moving forward because in 2024, Oregon will play at Hawaii in the opener, then get Idaho at home, then get Texas Tech at home, then they will play uh, a Boise State game, a fourth game, at home because of the uh, the Hawaii game, they get to play a fourth game at home, and uh, they will uh, end up getting to play an extra game there. So a nice home schedule. But uh, Dan Lanning, if he is the coach at, at Oregon in a couple years, and I presume he will be, has a chance there with a 4-0 and start. So a, a definite shift in how they're going to schedule. Now keep in mind, this can all be dumped on its head 
at a moment's notice is the Pac-12 Conference and George Klyovkov have said, look, they want to play these games. They want to play these big games. They want to play these challenging games where they have an opportunity to to face off against uh, perennial powers like Georgia and Ohio State in the last two years. But keep an eye on the scheduling moving forward for these programs. Conversely, I'm always interested in what Portland State is doing. And if you are a uh, Portland State fan, you know that uh, they will, uh, they'll get the Oregon Ducks next season in 2023. They'll play that road game to open the season. Uh, they will, uh, in 2024, get to play uh, against Oregon, or excuse me, Washington State. Uh, that is in, in their, their season opener. And in 2025, uh, Portland State currently has Oregon State on the schedule. So they're wanting to kind of rotate between Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. Uh, and they'll get the Ducks again in 2026. So uh, I like that, that Oregon and Oregon State are scheduling those games. I don't want to see them play Portland State every year, but I like that they kind of alternate or maybe uh, it's every third year. I like that because it keeps the money in state. And by the money, I mean that $500,000 payday that Oregon will play Mo- pay Montana or Montana State or Sacramento State or whoever to UC Davis in the case of Oregon State. That that $500,000 payday, by the way, those those numbers, those payday games have been escalating. Uh, it, it's a uh, It's money that I like to see given to Portland State first, or at least Portland State has the option there to take that take that payday. So I, I think that's always interesting to kind of track that and, uh, and see what happens with that. Um, I also think if you are somebody who is, uh, you know, following uh, college football, uh, that you want to see your team play big games. But we also don't know what's going to happen with the playoff. And I think that's always interesting. Now, Stephen, you are running the board today. Do I need to take a break here? Do I need one more, or am I good uh, to no, go to the top you are of the good. hour? You are good until okay. uh, 59, 35. I got, I got wrapped up in my, my uh, football scheduling thing. And let me ask you this, Stephen, because yeah. you know, we don't know you. We don't know your interests. We just, we're barely getting to know you. Yeah. Would you rather see your team? Who's your team, by the way? You know what, John, this is a funny answer. I don't really have it. Like the Blazers, I grew up around here in Portland, so the Blazers were always my team growing up. Uh, but then I worked for the Blazers, and so when I got let, let go by them, uh, you know, the the fandom and the emotion kind of went away, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Not, but, I, I didn't have that love for them anymore. So uh, I'm a big better. So more of my teams is just who am I betting on. So I try to – I'm so, totally unbiased yeah. everywhere. So you are a fan of your bank account. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's <laughs> where we come back to. What's it like to work for the Blazers? Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I worked uh, I worked in their scouting department and as a video analyst. So uh, it was uh, staying at home and watching 40 hours a week of basketball and just breaking down video. So, you know, you can't ask for much better than that. Yeah, and I think uh, you know you probably got a, got your fill of you, know, you you saw a lot, right? Yeah. You, and so, what would happen when you would break that down? Are the players getting that video, or are the coaches getting that video? What happens to that video? Yeah. So I was like the, I was like the bottom of the totem pole, right? So I was doing like the initial breakdown, and then I was sending it off to my boss, who was then breaking it down even more, and then it would go off to the assistant coaches and the scouts, uh, and then eventually to the coaching staff because it was a lot of for the upcoming opponents. So we had a had a system where. You know, you claimed the game that you wanted to watch. It was mostly just the upcoming opponents that they were playing. So, say the Blazers were playing the Lakers later on the week. All the games they wanted to watch were every single Laker game from the season so far. So, if it was midway through the year, you know, we want to watch games, you know, thirty-nine through one for the Lakers and see what they're doing. It's fascinating.
fascinating. Were you? Did you get tired of looking at basketball, or does does it never get old? Well, it was like weird, that? John, because it was like you know I'd spend eight nine hours a day watching basketball as my job, and then it's like six o'clock, and well, basketball is on TV, so then I go and I watch basketball more. So like it, it did get tiring, but. I will say it, it makes it so I watch the game differently. Like, that's the one thing I took away from it. Yeah, I think uh, for people who have worked inside organizations, it does kind of suck the fan out of you. Like, it really does. But in a college football context, there's part of me, the journalist in me, the sports media person, the columnist in me, the radio show host in me, I like seeing Oregon play Georgia. I like seeing Oregon play Ohio State. I hell, I like to Oregon State playing Oklahoma State. You know, last couple of years, but I understand with the college football playoff potentially expanding, that what we're seeing in the future schedules is we're seeing these teams schedule games that they can win. You're not. There's no Ohio State. There's no Georgia. There's no LSU. There's no Auburn on Oregon's schedule after this Georgia game happening this year. And I think if if Rob Mullins would, would speak to that, I think he would say, look, we don't know what the playoff's going to look like, and we don't know whether it would be in our best interest to even play those games in a system where we have an expanded playoff field. And, in fact, it looks like it, it would be better just to win – as many games as you possibly, you know, possibly could have. Like, you know, how many games do you think you can win and, and play those and schedule those opponents? Jerry Palm, who consults with a bunch of conferences, has told the men's basketball teams, schedule the games you know you can win. The best, the best opponent you think you can beat. Because you don't want losses. And I think in an expanded playoff field, conference champions would be awarded. Uh, but I also think when you talk about those at-large berths, they're going to go to teams that have great records, and they're going to go to teams who have who have won big games. So I I don't think the ads really know, and I think what we are seeing with football schedules in 2023, 2024, 2025, and beyond, we're seeing them schedule with kind of a I'm not sure what we're going to be doing mentality. Leave it here. Five at five coming up next. <laughs> We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.